Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor, the founder of Flow State and the host of Flow Tribe. Today, uh, I'm talking to Aaron Gazzola, who is a sleep scientist and a lucid dreaming expert. Uh, lucid dreaming has been an area of exploration for me and many other members of Flow Tribe in recent weeks. This, uh, the idea of exploring our consciousness in the sleep state is um, so interesting to me. We spend so much of our lives asleep. Um, when you understand that we live our life through our minds and the limits of our life potential are really the limits of our expansion of consciousness, what we are aware of, then it's a very natural step to start exploring the sleep state, the dream state, and to start exploring lucidity, um, the act of being mindful, uh, the act of being aware of oneself in the sleep state. Um, so we got Aaron on, who's a member of Flow Tribe, and I and I interviewed him for about an hour in this uh, podcast, and we cover off why lucid dreaming is such a fertile area of exploration, how it can benefit someone's waking life or the whole of their life, um, the neuroscience behind dream states and lucid dreaming, um, and Aaron shares a few of his amazing stories of getting into dream states, lucid dreaming states, and and uh, just some of the areas of exploration, some of the sort of utilities, I guess, of, of this particular practice and how it can really play into a wider practice of um, expanding one's awareness, which is what flow state is really all about. So I hope you enjoy the show. Stick around to the end because uh, Aaron gives some very solid three-step pointers and how to set yourself up to achieve lucidity in the dream state. So if you're looking to actually embark on a lucid dreaming practice, then stick around to the end where Aaron gives some solid tips. Um, also remember, if you're a member of Flow Tribe, then um, write down any questions that you have because you'll actually have a chance to have a private Q&A with Aaron and actually ask uh, your questions directly to him and get his answers uh, directly to you. So make sure you write those questions down. Otherwise, buckle up, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Um, I'm here with Aaron Gazzola. Z, do I call you Z? Yeah, yeah, call me Z. Awesome. Um, welcome to the show, man. Um, if you could just give a little brief introduction um, so that people understand a little bit about who you are and what you like to do and, and why you're on the show. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, well, I'm a sleep scientist, so I actually started in biology um, and, yeah, went towards sleep science for lucid dreaming. So, uh, yeah, lucid dreaming is kind of my passion, uh, and from that I generated an interest in uh, lucidity itself. And, yeah, at the moment I'm, uh, I'm cultivating lucidity in others via the means of, uh, of lucid dreaming. And, uh, and yeah, so... Beautiful. So just first of all, I think a, a nice place to start would be to help us understand this, this word lucidity. Um, can, you, can you help us? Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, so lucidity uh, in a psychological sense is a state of mental clarity and uh, presence of mind that, uh, that comes about from the understanding of the nature of one's surroundings or environment. So in a dream, it comes about because you understand that you are dreaming at that moment. And that realization brings about that sense of clarity. Uh, and it's, it's a kind of awakening. So you become awake, even though you're still dreaming. Uh, and that, that 
awakeness or clarity is uh, is present in many different times during our wakeful lives as well, and can be cultivated for uh, for an increased state of flow. Beautiful, cool. So, how did you get into this? How did you first get into lucid dreaming? I'm sure we all remember having wild dreams as children and things like that. But to go this next step further to achieve to practice to achieve a state of a, of wakefulness in sleep. Um, how did you how did you make that go through that threshold well like like a lot of uh a lot of people in their younger years i had a, a few lucid dreams but i didn't really know what they were and in hindsight they're obviously uh lucidity during sleep but uh when you don't have the uh, the framework to actually conceptualize what that is then you can't really understand it and as a result you can't cultivate it so for me it all began when i watched a film called waking life um, which is a really cool film. I recommend it highly. Uh, and it was essentially the first time I came across the notion of being inside a dream and talking about the fact that you're inside of that dream. And it just blew me away. And uh, I ordered a couple of books and I had what I like to call the beginner's luck system or the beginner's luck uh, moment where I had a lucid dream that first night after reading the first chapter of that, of that book. Can and, you remember uh, that dream? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. It was really weird. Um, I, was, I was with my family and we were going to a lake and all the boats were like up on stilts out of the water. And in order to get to the boats, um, we had to fly. And so I was flying towards the boats and I thought that was pretty weird and realized that I was dreaming. And, um, yeah, it's, it was very quick because very often when someone first has a lucid dream, it's quite overwhelming. And when the emotional centers of the brain become fired up, then it takes away from the higher, more cognitive, um, self-aware centers. Uh, and so I woke up pretty quickly after, but I was pretty exhilarated. Um, and yeah, that's how it all started. So what woke you up was the the awareness itself that you were having a lucid dream and was it sort of like a flood of adrenaline or, or, or something similar? Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's one of the pitfalls for, um, for new lucid dreamers is that when you look around your world and you suddenly come to the realization that the world isn't real in the traditional sense, then uh, this, the gamut of possibilities and the spectrum of what you can do next is often just completely overwhelming. Um, and just that sense of, of awe, uh, with the understanding that anything is possible, um, that excitement can just flood the system and, uh, and you basically lose your, your higher order cognitive functions or your ability to think clearly because you're so excited. And, uh, those, those emotions can pull you out of lucidity, either back into the dream state or out of sleep entirely. Mm. Interesting. Let's let's help people understand or frame lucid dreaming within like uh, an overall uh, intentional life design. Like, what what's the point for you? Why why is this something that you've uh, dedicated so much time and energy towards? Yeah, that's a, a great question that I've actually been sort of diving into myself recently. So. When I first started, my my intention behind it was simply self-exploration, um, and I just found it fascinating to be able to interact with my dream and to speak with my subconscious and ask my deeper self questions 
and then come out with answers. I thought that was amazing. And like, not just that, but the, the visceral sensation of using telekinesis to pick up a car or to create mountains out of the ground and like uh, draw another sun in the sky. Uh, it's just a very cool and liberating feeling. But, but in saying that, uh, I, I kind of uh, lost a sense of the bigger picture why, of why I would teach others to do this. Uh, but I've, I've come back to the idea of lucidity itself because this state of mental clarity and awareness of presence uh, is applicable to all aspects of life. And the lucid dream itself provides a very clear sort of binary um, training ground for that sense of clarity. Because if you're in a dream, you have, uh, you're either in or out of a lucid dream. There are degrees of, uh, of like grayscale, uh, of clarity. You can be really lucid or not very lucid, but the measurement is much more clearer when you're inside the dream and deciding, you know, is this real or is this not? Whereas that becomes a bit more blurry when you bring it back out into the real world. So for me, I see lucidity as a training ground for that higher order state of consciousness. Okay, help me understand the connection there. So um, I myself am someone who's been training oneself to uh, have greater awareness, greater self-awareness or greater awareness of consciousness. Um, So you're saying that the exploration of your consciousness in this dream state is powerful and important because is it because when you're in the dream state, you're unrestrained by let's say laws of physics um, and, and other potential limitations, maybe even conditioned beliefs and things like this. Is it, is it like this opportunity to explore consciousness with less shackles? I think that's a, that's, that's definitely a benefit of lucid dreaming, but kind of separate from the cultivation of lucidity itself. So um, the freedom of a dream uh, provides a lot of opportunities for, say, um, skill, um, like practicing a skill and bettering yourself in physical movement. Uh, but in terms of actually cultivating lucidity, the real strength in a lucid dream comes from the direct feedback. So it's mm. almost like a... Uh, like if you're in a situation uh, that is trying to convince you that it's real and yet you have the knowledge that it's not real, then you have to feel that sense of understanding and self-belief and then build that feeling into the resultant mental clarity that we call lucidity. And so it's, it's quite difficult to explain because it's a subjective experience. But if you contrast that to meditation, uh, where you have this a similar feedback loop, but it's it's much more uh, passive, where you need to sort of return to your center, perhaps from a train of thought that's taken you away. Uh, but it's all usually cognitive and may, maybe a little bit of visual, sort of uh, in your in your sort of mind's eye, as it were. But in a lucid dream, your entire world is this simulation that's constantly trying to trick you into believing that it's real but if you're able to hold on to your state of mental clarity then you can stay on top of it and stay present within it and uh, have the resultant positive feedback loop of all the benefits that come with a lucid dream experience hmm 
So how intentional can can you be in, in, a, in a lucid dream situation? I mean, is this something that has an element of haphazardness and randomness? And, and, and to what degree can that be mitigated in the sense of cultivating a deliberate practice where, say, you, you want to actually, um, I don't know, like rewire a particular limiting pattern um, or almost perform like self-therapy? Um, is it that kind of like directed kind of practice once you become a little bit more masterful at it? Um, as like a, a broad answer, I'd probably say no. Uh, dreams are inherently random in nature. Um, and the subconscious mind has, has a will of its own, which is really weird to think mm. because it's you. Um, but like, there's a good example, um, of this dude who was like playing this game where he was flying down and like picking up people's hats from this crowd, like picking them off their head. And he flew down at one point and someone grabbed his arm and like, and stopped him and pulled him down. And they were like, you know, enough of that game or whatever it was, but that was not, that didn't enter into his conscious mind at all. Uh, but that level of randomness is always there, uh, broadly speaking, at least. Um, and so it's very difficult to, uh, hone in on a specific aspect of yourself to improve. Um, yeah, so there are some examples to the contrary. Uh, the biggest and best direct application like that would be nightmare resolution. So if you have a recurring nightmare where you're running away from something, then all you need to do is realize that there's nothing to run away from. Stop, turn around and have a conversation. Just be like, what's the deal? Like, why are you chasing me? And what can I do to help you? And that often reveals quite a lot and uh, can resolve a lot. And it usually comes about in an emotional response. So less of a cognitive like, hey, you need to stop doing X and uh, an embrace is quite often. So you just hug the scary thing and it dissolves into your being. Um, and so that's the most direct response from a dream uh, that can be kind of cultivated intently. But aside from that, uh, it's very blurry. The lines of uh, inside a dream kind of bleed into one another. Yeah, I, I love the the notion that the subconscious has a will of its own. Um, you know, it, it's it's almost it's almost arrogant. To, you know, this this sort of idea of complete control, um, mm. isn't it? It's sort of like an egoic kind of like I, I'm in charge, but actually it sounds like in the dream state the, the ego is not in charge but so so what wh where does the ego come into it like let, let's just say that one has a pattern of um needing an inordinate amount of, of of validation from other people or, or, or one has a fragile sense of self-worth then mm -hmm. like how how might that be manifested or what, what sort of where does the ego come into the to the dream state in your experience well the ego roughly speaking is your avatar so like when you're in the dream itself it's important to remember that the the body that you inhabit is just as as just as much a hallucination as the rest of the space and so that's why a good way to test if you're dreaming is to try and pass your uh your fingers through your hands um, 
or to say hold your breath with your hand and still breathe um or sorry hold your nose and mouth with your hand and breathe through uh and so this this idea of ourselves is physically embodied in the dream in that way and that is what i would say is the ego not just the visual representation but our embodiment in the dream and our sense of will being imparted upon the dream uh and there are all different levels of abstraction within that and of dissolution out of it. For example, um, within the Tibetan yogas of dream and sleep, it was a common practice to expand the body and contract it so that you became massive or very small so that you could try and dissolve the sense of ego. Because if you can, uh, if you can get past the idea that you are this physical thing inside of another physical thing then you can become more cohesive with the greater reality Um, because it is an abstraction that we cast upon ourselves that we are in our skin and the world is outside of our skin so um yeah i'm not sure if i answered your question there Um, yeah yeah yeah. no you did it's interesting my mind just goes into tangents of exploring if 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 it is all an illusion you know this sense of separate self then then do you do you ever have like dream states like i've had i've had ex- experiences um working with plant medicines and psychedelics and also breath work um where, where i experience like the and, and meditation actually where where one experiences the dissolution of physical form um and the dissolution of identity structures. Um, so like it, it almost becomes like as, as these, as these manifestations of separateness kind of like fade away, um, one is left kind of like interconnected with whatever you call it, cosmic consciousness or whatever the universe. Um, have you had experiences in lucidity where there is that sense of interconnection or is it always through the avatar of one's physical form and ego? I personally haven't had the complete disillusion of, uh, of self in a lucid dream, but that's actually quite a not common experience, but a well-known experience, uh, especially within the Tibetan yogas of German sleep, which is referred to as the clear light, the dream of clear light. And in that dream, you, are simply an emanation of light and that is all that there is in the dream and you are the light and you perceive the light and it just it comes out from within you and it surrounds you uh and that's kind of the goal of a lot of these um sort of endeavors inside the dreams um especially from the standpoint of uh you know of other traditions that attempt to dissolve the ego Oh, beautiful. Okay. So, so in this Tibetan tradition, um, so this is a Tibetan Buddhist lineage that can you, can you give me some more, um, insight into this book and, and the Tibetan views on, on dreams? Yeah. So there's a good book out. Um, it's called just simply the Tibetan yogas of dream and sleep. Uh, I can't remember the author's name at the moment, but essentially they would they would utilize lucid dreaming as a mechanism to um, kind of accelerate or expand upon the teachings 
that were otherwise imparted because, you know, there's kind of a limitation to the conceptual, you know, entry point uh, into those kind of philosophies. But you can go beyond those limitations by actually experiencing it and, uh, and having these visceral, very, very realistic and convincing virtual reality simulations that actually put into practice a lot of what you're learning. So they would do some really interesting techniques, uh, one of which is they would have someone stay awake for three days straight and then they would have a master sit by their bed while they slept and the, the master would be watching their eyes and waiting for them to start REM sleep. And once their eyes started moving uh, in the rapid eye movement, which gives REM sleep its name, they would wake them up. And obviously to the annoyance of the student, uh, but they would keep doing this over and over again. And this is actually interesting that they came upon this because it's using two very prominent um, aspects of sleep physiology. One is REM rebound. When you have a period of REM sleep deprivation, then your body goes into catch-up mode and you accelerate uh, the amount of dreams that you have and the intensity of those dreams. And so after those three days of staying awake, bang, they're having crazy intense vivid dreams. And then they brought in the uh, wake-back-to-sleep lucidity methods, uh, which is when you wake up, you introduce... Uh, the higher order sort of self-awareness that comes when you actually come out of sleep and then you're so tired because you've been sleep deprived, you go straight back into this dream state uh, and that's called a wild, awake-induced lucid dream. And so they're continually like jump-starting or, or just like switching between these two states and it starts to blur the line of like, I was just awake uh, but now I'm dreaming hang on, is this a dream? Am I awake now? And by doing that, you begin, you reach that equilibrium point that is the lucid dream. And so this was a very long time ago, and yet they were using these techniques that are still quite established as lucid dream induction methods. Uh, and then in between these awakening periods, the master would ask, what did you dream? And, you know, what did you, what did you do? And would be giving sort of uh, feedback and advice on how to approach the next dream. Oh, wow. Wow. I can imagine that's so powerful just to have that direct opportunity to feedback the dream and to embed it and to like improve that kind of recall. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've, I've found late for the past week, I've been embarked on a, on a practice of lucid dreaming, or at least setting the, trying to set the conditions for lucid dreaming. And um man, I'm still working on dream recall. Um, it's so slippery. Like mm-hmm. I, in the, the last couple of nights, I, I had very vivid dreams. And um, I, I remember I, I went, I got up for a pee um, and I was sort of semi in the dream state when I was having a pee. And, and I sort of set myself the intention to go back into the dream um, when I laid back in bed. And I did successfully go back into the dream. And then when I woke up in the, in, in the morning, I was replaying the dream to embed it and to, to try and like make it more grippy uh, for my mm-hmm. memory. And, and I did this like with my head on the pillow for, for five minutes or so. Yet, as soon as I'd left my bed, and I didn't write it yeah. down, as soon as I left my bed and went about my day, it was just like, just gone. Yeah. Like, 
So what's, you know, obviously I should have written stuff down, right? Um, is this like, is this kind of like lucid dream 101, the dream journal by, by your yeah. bedside? Yeah, definitely. You got to write that stuff down. Um, but there are all sorts of different aspects of like dream recall within that. Um, so state dependent learning and associative memory are kind of a couple of big ones there. So when you're in the bed uh, and you've got your head on the pillow, uh, that's kind of the place that you dream and where dreams belong. So it's kind of easier to to access them there. But uh, more uh, stronger than that is the the actual the function of memory uh, when we wake up from from a dream. So we have like an internal memory wipe system that basically just dumps our dreams because we don't need them. And well, uh, as sort of like less evolved or uh, more basal animals, it would be counter adaptive to hold on to those dreams once you wake up and leave that space. Um, so there's a good example uh, of a cat that dreams of the next door neighbor's yard full of mice and then wakes up still believing that that's, that's the case, jumps over the fence and it's full of dogs or whatever is actually the case there. Um, so it's maladaptive in that sense. So we can kind of like counteract that system uh, by doing a couple of things. One of them is staying as still as possible. Um, that's because the more we move our muscles, the more our body is told that we're no longer in sleep paralysis and, uh, and that increases the memory wipe process. So if you can stay really still, uh, and then the second one is to think backwards. So uh, because dreams are so dissociative, uh, it's kind of like having a conversation that just jumps from point to point to point, and you end up talking about Bigfoot when you started talking about quantum physics or whatever it may be. But each of the steps in between made sense. So if you start at the most recent point and then follow it back like a thread, uh, then you can sort of follow that associative pattern backwards. So lying very still and remembering the dream backwards from the most recent to the furthest uh, memory back and then writing down everything you can remember uh, as quickly as possible. Those three um, steps are pretty key. Okay, okay, interesting. So what, can you, why does staying still help with dream recall? I forgot that bit. Uh, because basically muscle activity accelerates amnesia or at least the dream amnesia when you wake up. Oh, uh, it's like we're shaking it out of ourselves sort of thing. Yeah, sort of. Uh, it's because when you're in a dream, you're actually under a state of sleep paralysis. So uh -huh. if our bodies weren't paralyzed, then we would actually act out our dreams entirely. Uh, that's because to, to our brain, there's no difference between a dreamed action and a physical action. And so our brain is actually telling our body run or swim or jump or whatever it may be, but that's just being interrupted by the sleep paralysis mechanism. So as we wake up, that paralysis uh, sort of switches off and then we're able to move again. Uh, but there's kind of this twilight zone where our brain isn't quite fully indicated uh, or at least the memory storage um, sort of regions of our brain aren't fully uh, informed of the fact that the dream is over. And so we still have access to the, those memories. Mm. Uh, but, but the more we move and the more we start our day and disconnect from the dream world, then the quicker those dreams will fade. 
Interesting. Interesting. So I want to tap into some science now. Um, and then perhaps later on, we'll come back to a sort of like a little bit of a step-by-step mini practice that we can give someone um, so that tonight they can do their best to set the conditions for, for a lucid dream. Um, mm-hmm. So what what's going on in the brain? Um, first of all, just just dream state, not, not talking about lucidity, but what, what's actually going on um, in the brain, what, what, what sort of are parts uh, down-regulating, are parts up-regulating? Is, is, there, is, is it significant, the, the, the changes that happen in the brain when we go to sleep, first of all? Um, yes, well, essentially there are four main stages of sleep. So as we go to sleep, it's sort of this light sort of stage um, and it's very easy to wake up from. Uh, we go a little bit deeper into stage two. Uh, and it's kind of harder to to rouse someone from sleep. Uh, and there are like, you know, these alerting features of brain waves that kind of get triggered if there's a noise in the room. So you're still a little bit present, but pretty much asleep. And then you have deep, deep sleep, which is stage three. And this is when the brain goes into a very large scale oscillation process. It's like these big waves uh, sort of churning through the brain. And that's where we uh, recover a lot of our physical energy. Uh, our body does a lot of healing and we have a, sort of a declarative memory um, formation system going on. So like we're remembering things that we studied for a test or stuff like that. And then we jump into REM sleep. Uh, and if you look on a chart of, uh, of this kind of sleep pattern, REM sleep is actually represented uh, as very close to waking sleep. It's like the from the depths of stage three, it jumps right back up to almost wakefulness. The only difference, well, the key differences are the fact that your body is paralyzed and that you can't perceive the outside world with your senses. So what's actually happening in a broad sense when you're dreaming is pretty much exactly what's happening now while you're awake. It's just that you're isolated from the outside world. So while your brain is in this isolated sort of brain in a vat scenario, it starts to generate these, these waves called PGO waves uh, from deep within the brain. And they're thought to be kind of like a random pattern through which the brain can then assign meaning, kind of like uh, clouds in the sky, uh, you know, these kind of random patterns that we see a bunny form in, whatever. And then once we see that bunny form, uh, we think of this this rabbit running through a field and then maybe a fox and then uh, whatever from that. So from these kind of random generation signals, we then construct this uh, elaborate virtual reality uh, just because the brain is on and yet in isolation. So uh, in a broad scale, that's what's happening in a dream. The difference between a non-lucid dream and a lucid dream is the activity of the front of the brain. So in a non-lucid dream, uh, you're pretty much online as you would be while you're uh, awake, just in isolation, except the front of the brain is dull. Uh, it's, it's not performing a very high-frequency activity known as gamma, which is associated with lucidity. And so as a result, we just believe the dream is real and we don't have this sense of control or self-awareness. And so then in a lucid dream, the, the main difference, there are a couple of minor changes, 
But the main difference is that gamma frequency, that very high frequency in the front of the brain, switches back online. And as a result, the captain's back in the chair, so to speak. And we are present and we're aware. And we have an idea of ourself, of other, and what's going on at the moment. And as a result, we have control over the dream. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, okay. A lot to, I want to explore in that. Um, let me go all the way back to, was it PGO waves? Is that? Yeah. PGO waves. Okay. So PGO waves, what you just described, um, first of all, um, a lot of people have a familiarity with kind of like, you know, alpha, beta, um, theta, gamma, delta, right? Mm-hmm. Those, and a lot of people have an understanding, well, certainly people listening to this might have an understanding of flow states being around that border of alpha, theta. They might have an, an understanding of, um, or they might have heard of gamma in terms of like certain deep, deep, immersive meditation type experiences. But um, are there a bunch of other waves that just aren't even in this kind of spectrum represented by um, alpha to gamma? Well, the, uh, the uh, delta, alpha, gamma, beta waves, they're actually re- uh, referring to the electrical wave patterns in the brain and the frequency with which they occur. And usually they're quite broad scale. So uh, in the example of gamma frequency in the front of the brain, it's the entire um, sort of frontal cortex or at least the, um, the prefrontal cortex uh, oscillating in a general form of consensus, like of unison, uh, in this very fast frequency uh, known as gamma. So it's pretty much the fastest on the spectrum, uh, and it's uh, it's a yeah it's it's an oscillation over a, a broad scale, and then you can come all the way back down to delta, which is. Uh, present in stage three sleep that's actually how we identify when you're in stage three and it's quite cool to see uh if you uh you know listeners can have a look on on google just check out like um gamma or delta waves on uh on eeg so if you type in gamma eeg or delta eeg the difference is is crazy uh delta is just like ocean waves just these massive Mm. um oscillatory actions yeah and gamma is almost invisible because it's going so fast, very high frequency and low amplitude, the complete opposite. But PGO actually stands for, um, I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but something like uh, genicular occipital, I think something like that. But it's, it's, in, it's in reference to the regions from which it are originates. So it's not necessarily a specific um, uh, frequency, uh, but it's, it's referring to a region of the brain that seems to kind of like spark randomness or spark creativity uh, into the otherwise void of an isolated yet activated brain. Um, So yeah, from that randomness, uh, which can be a multitude of different um, frequencies, then the brain constructs meaning. Wow. So a couple of things. So flow states, um, transient hypofrontality, which is basically a, a down regulation of parts of the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. So, um, which is just a whole bunch of big words, which, which can also be explained by saying that 
the parts of the brain apparently that control sense of self and sense of time and sense of separate you know identity are kind of like turned off when you're in a flow state which allows for that sense of immersion timelessness selflessness um and when, and you're saying that in a lucid state um you were saying the front of the brain turns off or turns on uh in like a broad perspective on so this is actually an interesting conversation i briefly had uh with a mutual friend of ours al um but yeah it's it's interesting because in deep states of meditation uh the the front of the brain is seen to have this gamma activity the same uh as in lucidity in a dream and that's associated with like i am here i am present um kind of like that the analogy of the stork uh, watching over the water, like he's, he's still and he's aware and he's waiting. And when a fish comes along, he can grab it sort of thing. Whereas that's kind of conversely related uh, or contrasting to uh, the flow state, uh, which is kind of like a dimming of that self-reflective awareness. So I think um, they're, they're quite different and yet they they utilized a similar state of uh, like letting go of passivity. So in the flow state, uh, as far as I can understand, there is a, uh, a lack of self-criticism um, and self um, sort of measurement or, uh, you know, self-reflection that allows for a complete immersion in the activity and a, yeah, um, and so I think that like, it's, uh, I'm not exactly sure of, uh, how the two specifically relate to one another, but there is definitely a commonality, uh, in that sense of kind of, uh, productive passivity, uh, in, yeah, in a way, but, but yeah, it's not something I've, I've, I've delved too deeply into. Yeah. It's interesting. Another thing I wanted to pick up on is, is that, is that sort of gamma, gamma activity that um super high frequency activity so as far as far as i know when it comes to the science of the neuroscience of creativity um this is kind of like a little bit of a a little bit like consciousness the hard problem or or a big black hole like there's there's no like clear consensus of what's going on when we have that spark of innovation or a new creative insight but one thing that they have found is that they're in a certain types of creativity because there's all, all sorts of types of creativity, but that there is in certain types of creativity, there is this burst of gamma wave activity, um, which is interesting talk because this is what you're saying in, in the lucid state. There is also gamma activity, which has got some sort of relation to that PGO activity, did you say? So it seems to be like this randomized influx of stuff it seems to have... I mean, this is what creativity is all about, right? Where we're just like pulling, pulling shit out from our vast subconscious library um, to create some sort of new response to, to life. So it seems to be like lucidity and creativity. There's, there seems to be a, a, a connection there. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think it's, it comes back to that old saying that is often misattributed to someone, but I can't remember who actually said it. Um, which is uh, right, right drunk, edit sober. Um, so it's that whole notion of like you have the freedom to create uh, and to explore new ideas and to kind of 
access disparate regions of the brain that otherwise wouldn't be connected, um, which plant medicine can sort of uh, help in. But then there's also the, the benefit from the stricter, more logical, uh, higher order cortical framework that can put those things together uh, or like just partially cut some of them. Um, and so I think it's kind of a, a state of balance between the two. But, but uh, in a lucid dream, it's, uh, it's specifically cultivating one, which is the, the, the lucidity and like the, um, that higher order self-reflection because the rest of the dream world is just complete stochasticity and just like randomness all over the place and immersive uh, artistry, artistry, you know what I mean? Like mm. just creative, creativeness everywhere. And then from that uh, random space, then we can enter in the order, which is the gamma and the mm. front of the brain. Uh, and then we can select and say, I want to draw a door and like see where this door takes me. Um, or, uh, you know, I, I want to speak to X. And then what they will say to you in return is, is from that subconscious creative zone. But your decision to access that information and even your like ability to assign meaning to that information is much more from that sort of a higher order state of thinking. Mm. Very interesting. So what, you know, I, I often talk about this wonderful book, which I recommend everyone to read called Original Wisdom, which is about an anthropologist wrote about this tribe who Westerners decided to call the dream people, but they were actually called like the Sungoi people. And this tribe were very, very isolated from the Western world, thankfully. So they just carried on the way that they'd been living forever. And the tribal tradition was that every morning they'd all gather in a circle first thing before eating, before anything. And they'd gather around in a circle, old and young, and share their dreams, you know. Mm. And the, the dreams, so this is obviously amazing in terms of like recall, um, but also the dreams that they shared would be woven into, well, it was as real to them as, as whatever they might have encountered or thought about during waking state. So if they dreamed about a mango tree with beautiful ripe mangoes, then they would go find the mango tree. Um, and this is how they decided upon where they would, they were nomadic. So this is how they decide on where they were going and, and all sorts of things. And the anthropologist who wrote this, um, who wrote this book was studied, stay, studied them over a period of 10 years or so. And every time, and he'd go and stay with them for a couple of months at a time, trekking deep into the, into, the, into the jungle in the highlands of Malaysia. And these people didn't have any form of communication. And, and they were nomadic. And they were spread out over like <laughs> thousands of square kilometers or hundreds of square kilometers. And he would just walk in, park his car, walk in, and every single time there'd be this dude just sat on his haunches waiting for him, like <laughs> after a few hours. And it'd be like, how did you know I was coming? And the guy would be like, what a silly question. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, because you were coming, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and so this, they were basically a telepathic tribe. Um, and, and he would, 
he would be as an anthropologist he he would be delving into what are your customs what are your views on death how do you view eldership and women's roles and men's roles and and so he would be asking these people in like a group setting and every time a different person would answer but after sometimes like a 10 minute wait he'd ask the question and he'd, he'd be sitting there but he said that the energy in the in the space would be that there was like some sort of um telepathic um consensus being formed you know it was almost like they were conferring amongst themselves like like how to best answer the question and then someone would eventually pipe up and say this this is how we approach death for example Hmm. Um, and so what are what are your views on you know just on, on the connection between dreaming and what i view as i view i view tele tele telepathy as like the highest potentially that the the higher areas of our intuitive instinctive intelligence um i view the average modern human as sort of like you know a 0.5 on like a hundred point scale of of what our intuitive intelligence could be right so where where do you where does dreaming and like come into intuition for you yeah it's, it's it's an interesting question um yeah i to be honest, it's such a, such a huge mystery to me. Like, it's just like, I I remember I had a dream once when I was um, probably eight or nine or something. Uh, And it was a nightmare about, uh, about chickens getting attacked by a fox. And I was like freaking out. And um, when I woke up, I was like, you know, still distraught and I was yelling and uh, my dad was in the room. So clear, clearly I had been making noise and, um, He's like, what's wrong? And I said, check the chickens. Like the, the chickens, like, cause it was still in my mind that they were being hurt. And sure enough, they were being broken into like by a fox and a fox was, was uh, systematically killing them as they do. And, uh, and like, whenever I have a situation like that, the, the scientific side of me just immediately pipes up in, in his like suit and tie, you know, or like in his lab, lab coat and just says like, oh, that's, you know, complete coincidence and um, you probably heard X, Y, Z, da, da, da. Um, but there's this other side of me that's very, uh, very spiritual and uh, sort of says, no, like there's, there's much more to this. I think the like the main thing is that I like I just have no idea, and I think there's a lot of potential for the human brain um, to do some incredible things that we have either lost touch with uh, or are yet to fully discover. Um, I actually think there's quite a role in technology to come, um, and science will kind of start to convince itself um, of the validity of a lot of these things. Um, but in terms of intuition, dreaming is such a kind of like a, a freeform space just where anything goes. And so you have these weird ideas coming together. Um, for example, the periodic table was invented in a dream. Um, the benzene molecule uh, was like identified in a dream. Um, the sewing machine, all these cool things um, came out of just the freedom of thought in the dream. And so just from that, like, even though that's much more of a constrained logical standpoint of just disparate ideas coming together, that's still amazing. And that's still like providing a uh, sort of a jumping off point from intuition into a more constrained uh, and like, you know, constructive results and sort of way of thinking. 
but yeah, some of the dreams I've had uh, have been pretty, pretty astounding in nature. Somewhere I felt like I downloaded information. Um, like I flew, I was flying into this TV that was projecting just this history of media consumption since the advent of television. Um, and I felt like when I woke up, I was, you know, I had partially lived some of that experience um, that was, you know, projected through through media through that time. But I, I haven't yet had a very clear outcome, except for the um, the fox with the chickens dream. Um, that has made me go like, yes, this is evidence. Um, and yeah, that dude in a lab coat in my head needs that <laughs> evidence and needs a large sample size and, uh, and some good, uh, statistical uh, analysis methods and all this stuff. Um, Interesting. But yeah. Interesting. Sometimes I wonder, you know, sometimes I wonder what the, the side effect of, of simply that, the, 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 the knowledge of, the scientific method has on the allowance of, I don't know, the, the more esoteric kind of impulses playing out. Like I wonder if like we're almost the, the, the most wild dreams are actually getting stillborn because there's a part mm-hmm. of us that's like, that's like this skeptic that's been given power by the world that we happen to live in. I mean, it's wonderful. Like many of the things that we've got, I'm not, I'm no Luddite anti-science person, but I sometimes wonder whether that there's like a, an energy of skepticism that's been implanted in us that kind of like prevents the, 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 the free flow of some mm-hmm. of these things that we're talking about. Def, I think that's definitely a possibility. I mean, just from my experience in a dream, doubt itself is just uh, such a, it just quells creativity and quells ability in a dream like um you know I, mm. I had the first dream that i used kind of like magical powers was when uh i was driving along the highway realized the steering wheel wasn't wasn't connected pulled over and decided to lift the car up off the ground and i was doubting that i could do it and uh, my friend who I was driving with was laughing at me and that was just making me feel stupid and i was like i'm standing here like yoda with my hands outstretched expecting this uh thing to lift off the ground but um you know just getting over that hump of like well hang on you know i remember that steering wheel wasn't connected this sky is an odd gray uh, a hot, an odd shade of purple um and then you know bang it's off the ground um and yeah so doubt is the antonym to belief and belief is what drives ability in a dream if you believe that you can do something then you will do it so the belief doesn't come secondary, mm. but it's it's a feedback loop as well because it confirms it. So uh, I I got stuck in a wall once because like I you know I was thinking okay I'm going to walk through this wall and you sort of start slowly and it starts to like bend a little bit and eventually you're you're moving through it and I was jumping through the wall and like it kind of like got me stuck like quicksand midway. And uh, it was the doubt of what I was doing, like crept back in, even though I was midway through doing it. And uh, it took like this moment of self-reflection of like, this is ridiculous. I'm stuck inside a wall. For me, it was suddenly like completely free and I could walk through the wall with no resistance at all. Um, yeah. So, so I think doubt as a, like a larger concept could definitely quell a lot of that intuitive aspects, those intuitive aspects. 
Yeah, this that's that's doubt is the antonym of belief is a very powerful sentence. Um, I think like there's been a resurgence of, and I hope this continues, but a, a modern day resurgence based on some science by people like like Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza, who are you know looking at the placebo effect and epigenetics um, and looking at the power of intention. You know, th- this is. This is a tradition which goes back to, you know, alchemy and the occult and, you know, dreaming, the whole spiritual concepts of things like surrender, um, things like faith, things like belief, healing. Um, these, these are all things based on, on, on the power of belief, which kind of like we're only just beginning to learn more about in terms of a scientific way or, a, or a, mm. what's, what, what actually belief and intention is doing. Um, have you read that? Have you read that book um, by Dr. Emoto about about water molecules and him? I've like, I've heard of it, uh, but I haven't read it. Uh, yeah. Is that the one where the they create a different sort of crystalline pattern when you freeze it under different conditions? Yeah. So so he's writing exactly. So he's, so he's writing like labels like I hate you, <laughs> reflecting into the water on a bottle, and then I love you, and then like all these different things and you know, looking at different crystalline patterns. And, you know, on one hand, it's uh, the, the skeptic, the, the scientist um, gives it no credence because, you know, he, he's like this mad scientist who's doing this in his home and there's no, there's no, te- there's no like control. Um, and it's all like very shoddy in terms of like, um, you know, empiricism and, and like the right way to do it. But on the other hand, that, that, that misses the point. Like to me, I just picture this mad Japanese scientist who's just like, you know, having the great, having the best time ever, like writing messages on his water. Um, and it's, and it's almost, it's, it's more about his belief of what he's doing to the water, um, creates like whether or not the water is going to be healthy for him or not. And it's almost like the, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it kind of uh, like I, had, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, let's 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 um, if you would be so kind, um, I don't know whether you whether this is possible, but if you were to like, um, if you were to, you know, spend five minutes or so doing your utmost to help me experience um, a lucid dream tonight, um, how might you prepare me uh, today? And I'm a very willing person who's who's pre- quite prepared to. To, to go all in. Um, so if you could just give me a couple of pointers, that would be wonderful. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, a couple we've sort of covered a little bit already. Yeah. Um, the one is just the dream journal. Uh, it's, it's key. Basically, if the more you can remember a dream, the more familiar you become with it and the more able you are to bring your dream world into the conscious world and then the inverse will be easier to sort of uh, cultivate um, so stay really still when you wake up, um, try and think about your dreams straight away as soon as you wake up and remember the dream backwards. So the most recent, the, uh, furthest memory back and then write it down straight away. And then another step beyond that you can do is actually, uh, go through, read through the dreams and look for common items. Uh, so things that are common between the dreams, uh, those and anything that's weird. So if you see a flying pig or the sky's purple or whatever it may be, 
um, circle those items and together they're dream signs. So things that occur often in your dream, if you always see, I don't know, a, a snake in your dreams, then think about when, like, think about a snake and then think about seeing it and thinking, is this a dream? And that kind of brings us to the next point, which is cultivating a critical mindset. So uh, that's simply questioning your reality co uh, constantly during the day and thinking like, is this real? Because if we always accept our reality to be real, then we'll continue to do so in a dream. So it's, it's a weird thing to do uh, to actually think like, how do I know that this is real? Uh, what would it be like if it wasn't real? What could I do if this was a dream? Um, and how can I prove that it's real or not? And so that brings us to the next one. Um, so I'll, I'll just leave it as at three for this. Um, so the first one is the dream journal. The second one is cultivating that critical mindset. And the third one is um, actually testing your reality. So having a mechanism of proving to yourself that this is in fact a dream or conversely, this is in fact real. And the best way uh, I think there is to do this is to either have a sentence written on a piece of paper or um, I actually have wristbands um, that like have dream awakened stuff written on it and uh, to read this sentence or alternatively, you could read uh, a digital watch face. So only digital and not analog. Uh, read this complex uh, combination of symbols and the forms of letters or numbers and then look away and look back to read it for a second time. Now, in a dream, it's going to be different the second time around. Obviously, in reality, it's a stable external source of information and it's going to be the same. But what happens in a dream is when you look at something for the first time, you're actually creating it. You're uh, generating it into your virtual model. So a good analogy is in a video game, uh, your field of view is is being like filled in. So the game doesn't need to generate the whole map at once. It just needs to generate the region around you that you can actually interact with and perceive. Well, in a dream, it's the same thing. You look at your watch and that watch comes into existence in a virtual sense. And so it comes into existence with a specific set of numbers. And when you look away, the watch disappears. It no longer exists in your dream. Look back and the dream has to recreate a new watch. And numbers and other complex symbols are a very difficult thing for the brain to recreate accurately, especially because they're quite a late, late development in terms of evolution. And so the second time it'll be different. And if it is different, then you now have uh, undeniable proof that you're in fact lucid dreaming. So that would be my three main mm, tips. Beautiful. Okay. So the dream journal, um, the second one is creating this critical mindset where we're testing reality uh, or the critical mindset is number two, where we're yeah, sort of like questioning, like, yeah. like, does this feel real? So before actually testing it, um, yeah. think about like what this table, like how do I know if this table's real? Because in a dream, there'd just be a solid table here as well. Cool. And like, yeah. What about meditation before sleep? Yep, that's another good one. Uh, it's just that that is a, um, a less, it requires a bit more familiarity with the state of awareness and it's a 
needs sort of a bit more like finesse for a bit for lack of a uh, better word um so as an introductory method it's not quite as effective in terms of like um just getting getting clean results but definitely it's a good thing um Mm. if you can meditate and ideally think about either nothing or one thing in particular and, and maintain your concentration um, a good thing to do uh, is this specific meditative practice, uh, which is where you lie on your back. Uh, I think it's called the 61-point technique or something like this. Uh, but you lie on your back and you lie completely still and you move your attention from point to point around your body. So you start at your uh, the crown of your head and you think one and you place your attention there and like you try and create a sense of warmth there from that attention being focused. Then you move to uh, the bridge of your nose and you think two, move to your throat, three, go to your shoulder, elbow, wrist, each of your fingers, all the way back up, wrists, elbow, shoulder, and you go uh, down to your other arm and then down your torso, each leg, and then come all the way back up to your head. It takes quite a long time and it's really difficult to maintain that sense of awareness with without falling asleep and without uh, losing your train of thought. But that uh, that combination of being very relaxed and very still, but maintaining um, that awareness or that lucidity uh, can really cultivate a lucid dream. Wonderful. I have a I have a um, I have a dream which is. Well, I have a lot, but one of them revolves around being a surfer of a very high level. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, everyone's watched that scene and Ma- everyone fantasizes about that scene in Matrix where Neo mm. and Morpheus, where Neo is just becoming amazing at Kung Fu and then uh, flying a helicopter and learning languages. Um, so it seems to me like visualization, mental rehearsal is a very kind of like mainstream practice these days and you know there's there's more some neuroscience around it the 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 idea of bringing lucid dreaming into it seems to seems to like be very exciting in terms of enhancing Mm. this um ability to um, imagine oneself doing something at at a very high level have you found this to be the case or is it do you agree uh there's there i think there is potential there and um there are a couple of studies, like there's one that did uh, just visual rehearsals and so not in a dream, but they did basketball shots. So they had a group that just stared at the basketball ring and didn't do anything. And they had another group that actually stood there and took, took shots. Uh, and then a third group that stood there and imagined taking the shots. And the improvement was very similar between the people that just imagined shooting the hoops uh, and those that actually practiced shooting the hoops. Mm-hmm. And so kind of as a, as a, like a progression from this, they did a similar study within a dream. Uh, the, the kind of the sample sampling technique, uh, behind it was a little bit sketchy, but the idea was that you, uh, threw a coin into a jar and this was chosen because it's something you wouldn't be very good at because who practices that? And so, uh, they, uh, the participants threw a coin into a jar physically or they sat there and imagined throwing a coin into a jar or they achieved a lucid dream in which they practiced throwing a coin into a jar. And although, again, the uh, the kind of statistical strength of the study wasn't very strong, 
uh, it did show that the improvement within a dream was similar to both the physical rehearsal and the imagined rehearsal. But the the problem that I have uh, with skill rehearsal within a dream is that dreams are very approximate and uh, like I I can't skate for my life in reality, mm. but damn, I'm good at skating in a dream. Like mm-hmm. I can just nail it and I can really see like the kickflip, like mm-hmm. how it hits, like what part of my foot I'm using and, you know, I can manual for ages and whatever, but uh, it, I try and skate in real life and there's uh, isn't a lot of um, translation. Mm. I've mm. also... I've because of like uh, after having that experience, I then tried to practice a skill that I'm already like good at, which is wakeboarding. Um, and so it took quite a bit of setup um, because uh, I became lucid. I realized that I needed a lake and a boat, but first of all, it was nighttime, so I needed it to be brighter. So I drew a sun in the sky, and it wasn't bright enough. So I drew a second sun. I was like, okay, we're bright enough, and then I. I flew up into the air and I drew a lake on the ground. I was like, all right, we've got sun, we've got water. And I dove into the water from the sky. And I thought to myself, when I pop up, there'll be a boat. And so I popped up my head up over the water and there was a boat there. I was like, great, okay, now I need a wakeboard. So I reached behind myself, uh, which is a great way to generate uh, an item. If you try and imagine it in front of you, then your visual system kind of gets in the way. So I reached behind myself and felt around in the water and bang, it was a wakeboard, pulled it out in front of myself. And then like I had the struggle of putting the boots on because for some reason, like I imagined these like work boot slash gum boot things instead of wakeboard boots on the board and pulled this thing on. And then I needed a rope. And uh, so like I found the rope and like, so this is, this is already, I don't know, five minutes of dream time or seven or whatever which is like expensive because, you know, you not only do you need to keep lucid, but uh, your brain only has so much REM sleep each night. So I'm like, all right, here we go. We're good. Uh, get up and I get going. The water's behaving really weirdly. Like it's like jelly, uh, but I'm, you know, getting the hang of it. I'm starting to do some jumps. And then suddenly I crash through the water and I wind up wakeboarding on the underside of the surface. <laughs> So I'm underwater wakeboarding like uh, upside down. And so like the the point of the story is just that there's a lot of complicating factors to just come in from the crazy randomness of a dream. Yeah, totally. It's like you reminded me of Dr. Strangelove when you were talking about that. Have you seen that? Um, Uh, Yeah, yeah. Which part? Um, part Just just the parts where he's, he's like going into these different realms and there's like, he's running and then all of a sudden he's running on the ceiling and the ceiling uh, yeah. is, is, you know what I mean? Like all that into the dimensions are just changing the whole time. Um, yeah. yeah. So like the dream, the dream's kind of like a playful kid, you know, he doesn't want to like just, you, you can't just plug in helicopter simulation. I want to learn to fly a helicopter because he's like, remember that helicopter when you were three years old, that was all colorful from Fisher mm. price and you could press the button and it made that noise. And mm-hmm. it's just like, shut up. I'm trying to like, I yeah. learn the matrix skill here, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, just, it's again, <laughs> it comes down to the conscious, uh, the subconscious has a will of its own, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Who's in control? Like that's that's an interesting thing to explore, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Cool, man. Thank you so much for uh, sharing. Um, would just as a, I know that you've you recently joined Flow Tribe, um, and I'm sure that some of the Flow Tribe listeners who are practicing. Uh, for lucid dreaming we'd love to have like a 
a chance to ask questions to you directly. Um, so would you be cool in participating in a little bit of a private Q&A session with, with a few people at some point? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, awesome, I'd be happy man. to do that like a video. Cool. And I, I've been meaning to say, uh, great job in Flow Tribe. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty new to it, but it's it looks like you've got a really cool thing going there. Um, and I'm looking yeah. forward to utilizing the space. Yeah, man. It's just early days. We've been going for like six, seven weeks. And um, the DNA is is kind of like starting to take form. Um, mm. But there's definitely attracting a certain type of person, which is an explorer. Of, of consciousness mm-hmm. and the beautiful thing about you know having it set as as flow being the common denominator is that what flow to one person is very different for a flow to another person it's sort of like the exploration of consciousness is this common ground which can manifest itself in mindfulness or dream states psychedelics deep meditative states embodiment um all sorts of all sorts of awesome endeavors um so yeah, I'm really excited about the the direction that it's that it's going in. Um, and cool to have you on board, man. Um, so so what what's um, so if people want to learn uh, with you and from you, like what? How can they get in touch with you? Uh, well, at the moment, um, I'm sort of yeah. I, I had been going through a bit of a like a transitionary period, trying to figure out uh, the direction I'd like to take with. Um, with my stuff but um i have a website coming it's not yet up uh oh. but it's it's called dreamawake.com so it's uh dream hyphen awake cool. uh, com, and yes yeah, so all, all you'll get at the moment is just a coming soon page um cool. but yeah essentially once i get an idea of the kind of content i'd like to present which at the moment i'm sort of leaning towards a you know video blog uh yeah. type scenario maybe like a live stream um educational yeah. webinar thing but uh but yeah i reckon like be- if, you, if you wanted to run like a like a four-week course or something like that uh, just as a beta as an mvp then just let us let us know i'll get some people who will be getting guinea pigs for you um yeah okay for sure and um yeah i, I, I think it, like having sort of a long-term kind of like nature to it is 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 really important i think um you know, like, because these, I'm sure my very limited experience with lucid dreaming is that, you know, the first week might just be about enhancing one's dream recall capabilities. Um, mm. And then so on. And then like week two, we might get to another, you know, an, a new, like using like markers or like, like testing reality, you know, so it's, I can see that long-term structure being, being really powerful. Um, but a final point, man, like you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that, um, you're looking at, you've expanded your microcosmic focus of lucid dreaming to more of a macrocosmic look at lucidity, um, mm. which, which is, which is fascinating. Um, can you, can you just help us understand what, what my initial impulse is like, what is lucidity? It's like, um, clarity, brightness, clarity, like it, it, it's, it's almost like, are you talking about just looking at lucidity as like a, a more awakened state? Yeah, so essentially lucidity um, lucidity comes from the term lucid, which was uh, originally used in literature uh, for like describing an explanation of something. So if this is a lucid understanding or, uh, you know, this is, you know, yeah, so it's, it's describing something and understanding something. So if you were then to translate that to psychology, which is now sort of, uh, happened over the process of time 
um, someone is lucid when they're not intoxicated. So mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if someone is, um, if you, you could imagine a, a hospital scenario or something where you're trying to ascertain whether someone is clear-headed enough to make mm-hmm. a financial decision or maybe something to do with their will or something important, mm-hmm. and they would be asked if they are lucid and capable of making this decision. And so you can translate that to uh, the broader the broader look of things of just being being here and being aware. So it's nothing special, but like uh, it's just that thing of if you're if you've given um, if you're given like a train of thought and that train of thought is suddenly interrupted by silence, and then you 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 snap back online. It's not like this huge feeling of like wow I'm suddenly lucid, but just like I'm here now. Like I was a hundred miles away in my head. Uh, I was daydreaming Mm. and now I can see what I was daydreaming about. And I can also see the room around me Mm. from present eyes. Mm. Um, Yeah. Sounds like mindfulness or like the, the the mindful state. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I probably should just jump to that word directly because it is like, it's that feeling from meditation when, you know, you, you're, thinking about what you're doing for the rest of the day and what you're going to have for dinner. And then you realize that's what you were thinking and you bring your, your mind back to the present. Mm. And yeah, that, that would be called mindfulness. Uh, awesome. and yeah. Have you uh, final, final point? Um, um, there's a supplement, a, a tea called guayasa or something, which some, someone sent me a link to yesterday, which is an Ecuadorian tea, which contains mm. caffeine and it also contains L-theanine, um, which green tea contains, but it also contains something being with tea that is also found in chocolate. Um, and so these are sort of, anyway, there's, there's a couple of people in the lucid dreaming world who are talking about this particular tea as being, mm. you know, a, a great kind of like, not catalyst, but um, an yeah. aid in the, in, the, in the quest for lucidity. Have you, have you used any particular exogenous tools? Yeah. Um, so I'm not familiar with that team in particular, but there's always like examples of these new things popping up, but it, it generally comes down to a new combination and a new way of packaging an old technique. Hmm. Um, so a very popular one is 5-hydroxytryptophan or tryptamine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically you get that in cheese and chicken, uh, but you can also get it in concentrated forms. And, uh, so that's why you get this- wild dreams after you eat lots of cheese. Yeah, cheese dreams. That's where they come from. Uh, And so dairy itself, uh, but cheese is kind of concentrated in that respect. Um, Mm. But yeah, that uh, it's the precursor to serotonin. And science doesn't actually know why uh, having more serotonin results in more dreams. Um, In fact, serotonin production is inhibited during the dream state. uh, But for some reason, it, it creates more dreams, which is weird. Uh, So that's one that's very common. The other is uh, called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Kalea Zekatakiki, which is just known as uh, Kalea Z. Um, And that's, uh, it's also known as bitter grass. And that's an an ancient Mayan herb that was used uh, to cultivate dreams. And that one in studies, it's actually shown to uh, increase reaction time, oh, sorry, decrease reaction time. And the perception of time is also sort of altered so in a 10 second period you estimate that more time has passed and your ability to react to things is faster 
Um, so that's kind of heightening that lucidity, that present state of mind. There's another one called mugwort, which cultivates dreams itself, uh, but that's a bit heavy on the system. I wouldn't recommend that as much. But there are a whole lot, uh, but Kalea Z is the one I would recommend. It's just that it happens to be disgusting, which is why it's called bitter grass. Um, so to get it in a tincture is the way to go. Um, okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like it, your reminder of cheese. Like I, I lit when I was like 21, 20, no, when I was 19, I was uh, working in a ski resort and I was a pizza chef. And so mm-hmm. we would just eat pizza like all the time and we'd put like extra like four cheese pizzas and I remember just having the wildest the wildest dreams of that period in my life um yeah. and it's because of that inside the cheese that's awesome <laughs> all all the vegans out there who are listening to this you are like thinking hmm shall I become a chigan um yeah I miss it's, it's a reason for me to eat dairy again <laughs> yeah yeah interesting but you, can get it, you can get it in concentrated form though like so yeah cool cool all right Z um, thank you so much, man, um, for your for your wisdom and for coming on and for for sharing your, your time with us. Um, I'll let you know about the the Q and A session for the Flow Tribers, um, and I'll let you know when we're posting this this uh, this video, this recording, this podcast. But thank you so much for coming on, man, and um, supporting us all in in, in experiencing greater lucidity. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I, I look forward to, to being a part of Flow Tribe and uh, experiencing the journey along the way. Cool, man. Peace. I hope you enjoyed that show with Aaron, uh, a little introduction to lucid dreaming. I hope it inspires you to uh, give it a go and to actually take on board those three steps um, that Aaron outlined Um, to achieve lucidity in the sleep state. How awesome would it be to be able to drop into the state every night while we sleep and so that our our practice that we're embarking on during the daytime doesn't end when we sleep. We we enter this subconscious world where we can fly or like just spend ages underwater or who knows what might happen, like occupy altered dimensions or alien worlds or I think the the limit is is one's subconscious uh, repositories of stimulus. So um, it's an exciting realm to explore, and I can't wait to dive uh, deeper into lucidity. I've been having, starting to have some semi lucid states in my dream. Um, certainly, a, a a heightened sense of awareness in the dream state, um, which is very exciting for me. And I'm going to definitely be using some of those techniques that he mentioned. Um, to set myself up for greater lucidity in the dream state. Um, make sure that you, um, yeah, check out Flow Tribe. We've got a whole bunch of flow pioneers, experts of um, psychedelic exploration, breath work, meditation, storytelling, um, all dream states, all kinds of expert neuroscientists. Um, it really is a high level group of flow pioneers. Um, if you're interested in, all that is uh, all the different dimensions of exploring one's consciousness and becoming more aware um, in the name of high performance and a deeply purposeful and fulfilling life, then make sure you jump to flowtribe.co. And I hope to see you on the inside there. See if you qualify. Otherwise, um, there will be more podcasts coming up with lucid dream experts and other explorers of consciousness. I hope you're enjoying the show. Please know that you can always shoot me any feedback to Jiro at flowstate.co. If you have suggestions for interview guests um, or anything at all, any feedback, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, take care and stay in flow.
Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.